as bad as the United States is, I really, uh, China being in charge of anything, uh, I, that really, that really scares me. Well, hello there, my friends. Raf here from the End Game Investor. And yeah, the bottom in silver is almost certainly in. That's good news for all of our emotions. But don't get too excited because we've got this weird story coming out of the BRICS rumors about the BRICS countries starting a gold-backed currency. And while I'm not against countries forming a gold-backed currency, I don't think it's going to happen. I know that's a controversial statement, and I'm deflating some possible exciting news here, but I want to take this from a logical perspective. Part of what I do at the Endgame Investor is I manage emotions. I try to keep people level and balanced. And a rumor like this can get people overly excited and if it happens, it happens, and I'm not against it happening, but I'm going to try to explain here why it's probably not going to happen, at least as the gold and silver bugs are portraying it, or the excited ones are. We're going to go through the mechanics of Wednesday's silver surge and gold surge, what it means, what we're looking for next to see if this rally is sustainable. And with this week's low CPI print, it looks like the yield curve inversion that has been going on for, I think, a year now is starting to reverse and we can look at the historical lag between a reversal of yield curve inversions and the next recession. We'll go into that long-term chart from Fred. And as always, this week's Silver Report is brought to you by Fortuna Silver Mine, symbol FSM. Chris just got back from Africa from the Seguela Mine. From what I hear, it was a good trip. He had a top-notch concierge service from the airport and back. And he has no signs of malaria, which is great. This week, Fortuna announced... 93,454 gold equivalent ounces for the second quarter, which is in line with expectations. Gold production was a 4% increase over Q2 2022, thanks to the Seguilla mine production. Sales will start in July for that gold. And silver production is down actually 24% because of a 15-day uh, union blockade, illegal union blockade, which has been taken care of, which means that the decrease in the silver production has nothing to do with fundamentals. It was a small hiccup, which has been dealt with, and that problem is now over. And here we look at a, uh, a chart for FSM, look at yesterday's surge, or two days ago's surge for people watching this now on Friday. Uh, we've blasted through the 50-day and 200-day moving averages. Uh, all gold and silver mining stocks were up on Wednesday. It looks like we're going to have some nice follow-through today on Thursday, and who knows if it'll continue into Friday. But we're going to have a, a small pullback eventually, yeah, but it looks like we're on the way to uh, a new intermediate rally here. So all in all, Fortuna is looking really good. A lot of mid-tier gold and silver miners are looking really good right now. All right, so the mechanics of Wednesday's surge in silver and also the surge in gold, it's all the same kind of thing. Um, we see here, look. Uh, we had a big up candle, and the low was 23.31. The high was 24.38. That's a very large candle. I think it's one of the largest here, if not the largest in the last six months. Uh, it could have some uh, competition from this one over here in April and this one over here in March. But it doesn't matter exactly which one is the biggest. This is just a, uh, a trivial pursuit like the game. Okay, so we have here the open interest. This is what happened. We hit a 10-year a uh, low in open interest in July, which I've been pointing out here on the Silver Report for quite some time, that this is a very rare thing, and it's an opportunity to get in at a low, uh, which it seems it turned out to be. 
so here we have in open interest in silver uh, starting to rise a little bit uh, after bottoming out. I think it was 114,000 or something like that. Now we're at 126,000. This is a day behind. I pasted in the, the COMEX numbers for Thursday. Sorry, for Wednesday at 126. So this was a huge uh, move up of about 6,164 6, contracts in one day. I think that's uh, one of the biggest up candles in open interest, but we'll see tomorrow on the chart uh, how big the candle is going to be. Um, it's going to be, well, this is 120, so 6,000 should put us around here where my cursor is floating around. Uh, it's a pretty big up candle for open interest. Um, we had a similar one here in April that matches this candle up here. Uh, the point is, what we had 6,164 contracts opened yesterday. Where were they opened at? They were opened at somewhere between the price bracket of this low 2231 and this high 2438. So we have 6,164 new shorts and longs that opened between these prices. Now, uh, that means whoever sold short the contracts uh, they are um, they're on the hook for silver at these prices. If silver can't get below uh, 2331, get below that low, then all of those shorts are going to have to cover at a higher price and they're going to lose money. Most of those shorts are the bullion banks. Not all of them, but most of them usually are. Uh, and so we're looking for uh, in the next few weeks or maybe a month out or so, um, a, a surge in uh, the silver price with a fall in open interest, a cumulative fall of about 6,000 contracts because th these uh, shorts, I don't think they're going to uh, win on their positions here. They're going to be forced to cover and uh, with a little bit of a short squeeze, which is actually what we saw back here in March. If you look here, there's a little bump in open interest here, uh, bump up, and then uh, – it was what it was about 130,000 if I'm eyeballing it correctly. And then you have this huge candle up at the beginning of this major rally from about 1950 to what was it? 25 bucks, whatever that is a uh, big rally. doesn't matter how much exactly it was, but we have this big up candle here with this big uh, decline in open interest. So this right here in March was a mini short squeeze and that marked the beginning of a major rally. So I'm looking for something like that in the next few weeks where we cover these contracts at a at a higher at a higher price and the shorts get squeezed out not a major short squeeze not the end of the world or anything like that but something that shows me that this rally has legs i think it does this is what we should be looking for in the next few weeks but anyway the point here is that the low cpi inflation numbers might have marked the bottom of the yield curve inversion from the 10 year to the 3 month this is the most extreme yield curve inversion i think since the late 70s or maybe ever, I'm not exactly sure, because uh, this chart doesn't go back, but it doesn't matter if it's the most ever or if it's one of the most ever. So if the Fed is done hiking rates and interest rates on the low end are starting to go down, then this inversion is going to start heading this way. And uh, we're gonna start seeing uh, less of a negative inversion and finally a positive yield curve as it normally is, right? So if you look at the lag between the um, if you can see the gr the gray strips here, these are you know they indicate recession. If you've seen a Fred chart before, uh, so here we have a lag from when the yield curve inverted maximum in 1989 until the next recession in 1990 was 14 months. Here in 2000, um, it it bottomed here the yield curve inversion, the yield conversion top, the yield curve bottom. Here, 
it, four months before the 2001 recession. In 2006, uh, it was, or this is 2007, it was one of those. So it was 13 months between the bottom of the yield curve inversion and the next recession. Here, it was, this is September 2019, and this year is March 2020. We all know what happened then. The next recession, that was five months. So it's going to be somewhere between four months, maybe 13 months, uh, somewhere between those brackets, uh, most likely, is going to be the next recession. And the next recession is going to be a banking crisis because the banks are sick and they're dying. Uh, we all know that uh, their days are numbered. And it's been my thesis at the Endgame Investor that we've got one more recession, one more financial crisis before the Endgame. Uh, so on that note, you know, given that that's my timeline, uh, then I don't really think it matters so much if the BRICS currency actually uh, happens or not. I don't think it will. And we're going to go into exactly why right now. And I know this is a controversial position, but I'm not afraid of... Uh, you know, bucking the trend. I got to say what I think, and this is what I think, and I could be wrong, and okay, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I have gold and silver anyway, it's fine. So here's my thesis. This is, uh, I'm going to show you a few countries here, and I've showed this before with Turkey. We're going to expand it to other countries, right? My point here with these charts is to show that central bank gold buying is overrated. It doesn't really matter. And that uh, the amount of gold on a central bank's balance sheet does not affect the currency's value. Why is that? Because these currencies are not convertible to gold. It's not like any of these countries, central banks are saying, well, you deposit gold with us and we'll give you, or you, uh, and we get, we'll give you currency, or you deposit currency with us, we'll give you gold. It's not convertible. This is just a game that they're playing to manipulate exchange rates. Uh, so here we have the central bank of Kazakhstan. They have been stockpiling gold from, uh, let's say, 2004 when it was very, very low, around 50 tons here. And they really got going in 2012 and they really started stockpiling gold up from maybe 70 tons or something to about a high of 400 in 2021. And they sold off a little bit recently. But, you know, uh, look at their currency, right? This is January 2000 around lining up with uh, up here. And uh, the their exchange rate versus the dollar, that's what this is, the, their currency whatever it's called, the Tengi. Okay. Never heard of that one before, but okay. So it's up from, um, meaning down from 141 in 2000 to $444 per Tengi. So uh, it's, it's fallen by, uh, it's, it's about a third of the strength that it used to be versus the dollar. So this, uh, this gold stacking by the central bank, it doesn't, doesn't affect the currency because it's not convertible, right? It's just a game. Anything with India, right? India has been stockpiling gold uh, from about 330, 340 tons, it looks like, in 2009, 2010. And they've been stockpiling more ever since, every month, um, from about maybe 2018 to now, and they're up to about 800 tons. Good for them, but look at the Indian rupee. Um, 2000, it was, uh, this is a percentage chart here, so it's been cut in half versus the dollar. So again, uh, it doesn't matter how much gold um, a central bank stacks. If it's not convertible, the public will not trust the currency as a gold substitute if it is not directly convertible at a fixed price, which means you've got to stop the inflation. And if you stop inflation, your banking system will die because banks are dependent on consistent and constant inflation. Why? Because the way the money supply expands is that a central bank buys bonds, and then that money is owed back to the central bank. And eventually all the money is owed back to the central bank because uh, because all the bonds expire and they have an expiration date, um, a maturation date, actually, sorry. 
um, and all the you know, all the money that's printed goes back to central bank, and then banks have none, and they all collapse. That's just mechanically how the system of inflation works. So, in order for a currency to be convertible, you've got to destroy the bank system as it exists in your country. None of these countries are willing to do that. Next one, seen this one before, but I'll show it again. This is Turkey. Uh, Turkey has been uh, a pretty genius buyer and seller of gold, uh, seller at highs and buyer at lows. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all for the central bank or for the lira. The lira is in hyperinflation at 26.158. It is hyperinflating. It is hyperinflating at around the same time when the uh, when the Turkish central bank decided to start stockpiling gold again. Doesn't matter. It does not protect the currency because it is not convertible. To make it convertible, you got to collapse the Turkish banking system as we know it and the banksters get mad and they might uh, do something dangerous now let's go back to a chart going to 1950 i think this is from gold.org or the gold council um and we see here going back to 1950 there has been more years of deeper cumulative sales from i think this is 1968 when the london gold pool collapses when the central banks were selling all these tons of gold to try to maintain uh the the gold peg at 35 dollars an ounce uh that didn't work 1968 1969 here's where the the gold the the gold window was closed so to speak it's not closed because we can still exchange gold for dollars but that's my uh that's my thing but this uh, colloquially people say the gold window closed here even though i disagree with that but anyway if you look at central bank gold sales and gold buying we can see here in 1980 this is 1970 78 79 Wait, 77, 78, 79, 80, right? These four years is when gold was really bubbling. And three of those four years, central banks were selling gold at, uh, besides the, at, at the second highest rate ever, right? Going back to 1950. So, uh, so yeah, central banks were, were selling gold here, 500 tons in 1979, and gold was, was, was going crazy. It was going vertical. Right? And here's 1980, here's the gold top. Um, it, it topped in January 21st. So when central banks started buying again, that's when gold fell, right? So I'm saying here that 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 central bank gold buying does not really affect the price of gold that much. It doesn't seem to. Uh, so so here uh, we have again 1989 from 19 maybe it's 88 88 or 89 until uh, 2009 here. So for 20 years. Yeah, 20 years straight, central banks were selling. And now we have uh, net buying from 2010 to 2022. That's 12 years. This is 20 years. This is 12 years. So they've sold a lot more gold than they've bought, right, since, um, let's say, 1968 when the gold pool uh, collapsed. So let's put this into perspective, folks. And now, now if we're going to talk about the BRICS currency for a moment, um, I, I don't see how it's going to work uh, because let's say – Okay, we know that in order for a gold currency to actually work and be trusted as a gold currency, it's got to be convertible. If the BRICS countries are going to use this currency amongst themselves, then what happens? You have a, a gold currency versus their fiat currencies, let's see, Brazil, uh, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, that's BRICS. They're all inflated. They're all inflate their money supplies. They all operate on a debt-based monetary system. Um, if they actually have a gold currency or trade in physical gold, if they just like ship the gold to each other, well, the reason to trade in a gold currency is you don't have to do the shipping. It just makes it more efficient. Um, but if it's convertible among them, then all of their domestic currencies collapse because who wants 
um, a an unbacked paper currency when you have uh, when you have to buy things with the gold currency and then uh, and then trade it with paper in the domestic market. That's not going to work. It's going to collapse the currency and the the banking the banking cartel and those respective currencies are going to call and countries are going to collapse. Then you have a banking crisis and uh, a revolution. You know, when the financiers, they get angry, bad things happen. I don't see this working. Plus, I don't see it as a good thing necessarily, because let's say the BRICS countries, you know, let's say they actually are going to make currency that's convertible uh, at will. OK, let's assume that. And it actually works. Then what you have now is a world that uh, uh, where the dollar is undermined. Yay. OK, I have no, no problem with that. But then who's in charge? Who's got the power? Well, it's the BRICS countries. And once they undermine the dollar, then what they are probably going to try to do, if this is their plan, is to have the right to inflate as the new you know, world reserve currency. And they'll start inflating just like the United States did since 1934. What they really want is not honest trade. What they want is reserve currency privileges where they can print their own currency and start buying stuff for themselves and become the world's uh, superpower, superpower alliance. And I don't want a world where Russia and China... Uh, are allied to uh, become the world superpower. That just doesn't seem safe to me. Uh, as bad as the United States is, I really uh, China being in charge of anything. Uh, I, that really that really scares me. I'm not really into this happening. I'd rather everything collapse and then the power return to the people. It's going to be that would be a much more difficult collapse for a lot of people. That's true, but it would create a much more stable based decentralized monetary system. We don't want the BRICS being in charge. We want the people being in charge after a complete collapse um, where the gold and silver stackers are in charge because we have the money and not the central banks of China and Russia. All right. That's what I want. That's what I think should happen. That's what I'm hoping is going to happen. But okay, if BRICS takes over, uh, I'm not going to stop it. I'm just a guy commenting on YouTube. All right. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed this more philosophically bent uh, silver report for this week. I'm excited for the rally. Don't get too excited. Stay emotionally balanced. Stay centered. Um, thanks for Tuna for having Chris over at the uh, Seguela Mine. Uh, excited for your progress. And everyone, have a good weekend. Have a good week coming up. Enjoy the Silver Rally. And if you enjoyed this video, then sign up for a two-week free trial of the Endgame Investor, where you can also support Chris and Yara and our Katie Economics team, uh, because they get credit now for any sign-up that I get. See you guys soon.